free. We'll talk this morning about freedom that we have. And like I said earlier, I think it's I think it's very it's very awesome, and uh, it just it seems to blow our our human mind sometimes how how God works in things. Those who accept that they have freedom tend to act on that freedom. You've already seen that today. Three or four years ago, there was a young guy that came to me and he said, man, I can't, I can't do much, but I know how to play the guitar. I said, cool, we need a guitar player at church. And so that guy came and he, he put in practice and he put in work and and he put in work, and he put in work, and he put in work, and put in work. And by God seeing the freedom that he was practicing, and all, all he wanted to do was to do it for God. He didn't want to do it for you. He wasn't doing it for me. But God took that freedom that he acted on, and he brought him through his life three or four years later. <laughs> Those of you that have taken that journey with us as a church know who I'm talking about. And that guy stood before you right here. And he led worship. And you nailed it. You know, it's, it's people that know of the freedom that God gives them. They understand the freedom that they have, that they can act on. We saw an unbelievable catastrophe in Connecticut. Our prayer from Illinois needs to be that God's people that have experienced the freedom act upon that freedom to minister. See, people that practice the freedom that they know they have are the ones that God uses to impact communities during a disaster. They impact people when they think they're at their lowest moments. People that act on their freedom in Christ, God uses them, and he teaches them, and he helps them grow spiritually and become more talented to do different things. My name is Matt Griswold, and on a normal Sunday, you'd come to Connection, and I would be leading worship. Today I get to bring the message. We get to talk about the freedom in Christ in Galatians. If you came on a, on a, a regular Sunday to Connection, Mike Davis over here in the orange shirt would be bringing the message. This is what I find that's cool. Those of you that have traveled with us, not necessarily the visitors or our guests this morning, anybody that's been here three or four or five times and, and has seen the different people that play, the guy that was playing bass, usually when he's home from college, has played the drums, but we had a guy out here that practiced the freedom in Christ, that said, hey, I can do that, and he plays drums now. And Anthony came home from college, and he said, well, what can I do? I said, well, Josh is in Kids Rock. You want to play bass? Okay. God's given us interchangeable people. He took a lead guitarist, and he brought him in front of a microphone. I, da I dare you to find a, a group of people that are willing to do that, let alone able. And God is good. God is so good. I was just blown away. I was behind that curtain, and I was just thanking God for what he did. Just what, I looked across from over there as I was worshiping myself, and I looked across, and everybody was just intently just focused. And it's because Lee was practicing the freedom that he had in Christ. If you want to practice that freedom, you come see me after church. I'm always looking to incorporate new people to sing. If you play the piano, the stand-up bass, if you have an instrument that we don't have up here, we're looking for a guitar player, a lead guy, a rhythm guy, a bass guy. We can always use e extras, always. You want to use your gift, you come and talk to me. 
getting started in the book of Galatians. If you would, please turn with me to the fifth chapter of Galatians. Galatians is in the New Testament. It's on the right-hand side of your Bible. Uh, if you aren't familiar with where it is, there's a table of contents in the first part of your Bible. It'll tell you what page it's on. Uh, it'll tell you what page the first chapter's on. Just flip over to the fifth chapter. If you have one of the New Testaments from the hallway, it's on page 161, I believe. As Pastor Mike does, I would like to, I would like to encourage you to, to bring your Bibles. And I, I, I am of age, whenever I was in kindergarten in, in Albion, we were one of the first schools to have K-12, through and, and we all had computers. So I grew, up in, I grew up in school without knowing that there wasn't a computer available. So I have an iPad, and I have a MacBook Pro, and I have these, thi- these gadgets that some of you have. I'm speaking Greek to some of you. But on some of these, we'll call them gadgets, okay? Some of these, I call it cool stuff. Some of this cool stuff that we have now, like your phone, you can get your Bible app on your phone. By the way, that Bible app that most of you have was given away by a church that the pastor's name is Craig Rochelle, and we got to see him in a conference, and he just talked about being blessed to be able to give that. So he's just acting in freedom. He said, we had the ability, and it is just, it is in multiple languages. If you have it on your phone, it's multiple versions. And you can highlight, and you can make this argument with me all you want. You can highlight on them. You can do this. I can do some cool stuff with my iPad and the Bible app and do some cool stuff. But if you bring your Bible and you take an old-fashioned ink pen or a pencil and you mark in it, listen, you're not defacing the value of your Bible. You're not, doing, you're not defacing it. I saw, I saw a picture a couple weeks ago and it had a, had a Bible and it was just highlighted and marked up. It says, those who look like their life is the most confused, and they had arrows and all this stuff going on on their Bible page. It says those who, who if you look at it, look the most confused, probably have it the most together. The, the more that you study and, and mark and learn and, and digest the Word of God, the freer we're able to act. But if you bring your Bible, you can jot down some notes. If you have your message map, like you pull out this piece of paper, on, the, on the, the third page, there's a, there's, a, there's a thing that says message map. If you're new to us, you can take your old-fashioned ink pen or borrow one from your neighbor and share. And You can fill these blanks out. We're going to go. I don't want that up here. That Just not yet. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> They're going to cheat. I, they, they'll cheat. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we have the ability this morning to come together and we, can, and we can look at this book that was written a very, very long time ago. And the cool thing about God's Word is that it's extremely relevant to the people that it was written to, yet it's timeless. You can take things out of the fifth chapter of Galatians today, as we're going to try to do, and apply it to our life, and it's going to affect you right now. I challenge you to find that in another book. This, this week we're going to look at a guy named Paul. Some of us are familiar with Paul, some of us aren't. If you're not, to put it nicely, Paul wasn't always a nice guy. Paul, Paul used to be called a guy, his, his name was Saul. And when Saul was uh, a living, active person in the community, Saul hated everything to do with this new reformation that was coming in, anything to do with Jesus. One of the first martyrs, who is a person that, that died because of what they believe, his name was Stephen. And in the, in the Bible, it's were said that Saul was present at the stoning of Stephen and that it pleased him. 
Saul was a very, very dangerous individual if you were a Christian or a follower. And he just sought to disrupt this movement of, of, of God. As Jesus came to this earth and new, new people were believing in him, Saul wanted to put a stop to it. He was practicing what he thought was freedom. And he said, I have the freedom to stop you. But what he didn't know was the infinite freedom that Jesus was giving these people. It couldn't hold a candle. Not at all. It, said, it says in our Bible that he killed people that followed Jesus. He was doing these things. And he was very much a feared man. Later in life, we're told that, that Paul was on his way to a certain town and God encountered him. Okay. To some people, that would be extremely out there. Okay, I get it. I understand. But God made himself known to Saul. In fact, he made himself known so much that it was a brilliant light and, and Saul hit his knees. It just took him off his feet. I don't know if you've ever looked, you know, you can buy all these cool flashlights. And you can shine them and you can take them out forever and you can just, you know, shine this like million candle power spotlights and they go forever. And you can have it for a little while and you just kind of, you're just curious. Are we not? You know, it, sa it says on the box, do not look into it. That's like having a rope hanging from this ceiling right about this section that says don't pull. That would last about 14 seconds just because I know them. But this, this light shone on Saul so brightly that he fell to the ground. If we're going to make this into a movie, it would probably be like the bat signal. Just poof, going down instead of up, just right here. And he hit, his, he hit the ground. And God confronted him and he says, Saul, why are you doing the things that you're doing? My purpose for you is to spread the good news about me. And I can give you that freedom and the ability to do so. The light was so bright that he physically could not see. He was blinded for a certain amount of time. But Paul recognized that he, didn't, he would rather be on God's side than fight God's people. Because he, re he realized that the freedom that he was trying to take was much smaller than the freedom that these followers seemed to have. And when, the, when these followers would, would, would be persecuted and they would just keep on telling others about Christ... He didn't get it. He said, what is this power that this has? And God came to him. To cut a, long, a very long story, a story short, Paul becomes a dynamic follower of Christ. Paul is probably known as the greatest missionary on planet Earth ever, excluding Jesus. Ever. He went places and told people about Jesus, but more importantly, he said what he had done in his life. We're going to fast forward from when he wrote Galatians to today. You can, you can have an impact on people by not only saying, I go to church. I don't, want to, I don't want to put this negatively, but people just don't care. I go to church. I've been to church for 17 years. I have not missed a Sunday. Oh, so. But when you see a neighbor or see a friend and they're going through something and you've already been there, and you not only just talk to them, say, hey, how's it going? But you get down and say, I understand where you are. And if you need somebody to walk through this with you, I can. 
But more importantly, I'm going to walk beside you, but we're going to keep our focus on the freedom that we have. The freedom in Christ. By, by telling people what had happened to him, Paul was t- telling a thing called his testimony. Something that we all have. There are things that you could come and talk to me about in private that I would say, listen, I've been there. I understand you're probably feeling like this, or you're probably feeling like this. And you would go, yeah. And the only way that I know that is because I've been in the dumpster. I've been there. I have been there. Paul is telling these people that he's been there. And he uses his testimony. Countless times throughout his writings, he said, I used to do this, but now I do this. This is how you can take from what I used to do and not do it. I'm just warning you what you can do now. People could see the dramatic change in Paul. I mean, think about it. These people, these people, the same people, some of the same people that he was talking to and preaching about Jesus knew exactly who Saul was. If he walked into the room and we were the, we were the followers and we were all believers and, and Saul walked in the room, we would know exactly who that is because we had a fear for him. And what, what, what would have used to make these people run, all of a sudden, Paul comes in and he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want, let me tell you about what I've done. You know, we look at, I, I talk to some people sometime and they say, I want to get my life together before I come to church. If you wait till you have it all together, folks, you'll never come in the door. You will never come in the door because you can't get it all together. Paul himself says some stuff that I say to myself all the time. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do or the practices that I don't want to fall back into, those are the things that I do. Paul says that throughout his writings to these people. And he's not telling them that he is better than them. In fact, on most cases, he is saying, I have done way more than you. We watch a video sometimes at church and it talks about the freedom that people have to come to church and the guy, uh, lady says, if you've known half the stuff that I've done, you would never let me in church. Did you hear that? If you have known half the stuff that I've ever done, you'd never let me in church. And it fast forwards to a guy that is active in his church, and he says this. He says, if you've known half the stuff that I've done, you wouldn't be scared. You wouldn't be worried. That's what Paul says to these people. It's safe to say that people were very interested in what could possibly change a person from killing believers to serving believers and going out and reaching the people that haven't been reached yet. Just a complete 180. Galatia is a town. It's also a book of the Bible. That's why it's called Galatians. They wrote those are the people. That's what they were named because they lived there. Um, Galatia was a place where Paul helped start a church. He helped a group of believers start meeting together. How about this? This this sounds very familiar. It says, history tells us that these early churches, they met weekly, they read scripture, and they sang songs that praised God. Does this sound familiar? We've done that this morning. Something that is relative to Galatia and to here today. After a church would get on their feet, or they began to know the motions of this new church, this new movement that was going on, Paul would go to somewhere else and preach. 
after Paul left, okay? So, so let's say that Paul comes here, we have this group of believers, and we're, we're functioning as a church. And as everybody knows, once you start functioning as, functioning as a church, you have no problems, everything's good, you have the car of your dreams, the li- life doesn't happen anymore once you become a believer. That is the biggest lie on earth. Nowhere in scripture, and I have looked, does it say that being a Christian is easy. Never once. Not one time. Jesus himself says, if you want to be like me, you want to follow me, he says, pick up your cross, which is a metaphor. Okay, there wasn't 800 million people carrying a cross. Spiritually, you have to spiritually die to yourself every day. Those things that you don't want to do, you have to make a conscious decision. Say, God, I'm going to have faith in you today. I'm going to step out here and I'm going to do what you want me to do. I had, a, I had a craving this week to do something that I haven't probably done in five years. Just, just out of the blue, bang. And I, and I was standing there and I said, why on earth? And I chose, because I've been taught and because I have accountability partners, but I chose to say, you know what, God, I'm going to, I'm going to, you've kept me here for five years, I'm going to stay here with you. Would it have been easy to follow? But sure, absolutely, it's easy to slide back into our old habits, is it not? But Galatia is where, where a group of believers had been formed in the town. They were functioning as a group, okay, as a church. Paul leaves. He says, I have other people that I need to talk to, and he goes. And this, this church began to function on its own. And new believers probably came. All of a sudden, Paul is somewhere, the Bible doesn't tell us where, but Paul gets word of this church in Galatia, and I know this is going to surprise you, but they're having problems. They talk bad about each other. They aren't being nice to one another. Now, I know that doesn't happen here. But we're just going to, just figuratively, okay? After Paul left, the people of Galatia began to drift back to their old way of doing things. In chapter, chapter 1, verse 6, we don't have that on the screen, but Paul says this. He starts off the, the book after he says, hello, this is Paul. That's basically what he says. Verse 6 says, I am shocked that you are turning away from God so soon. A God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. Now listen, Paul is coming to these people, and he's teaching them in a very, 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 very turmoil time for Christians. Okay, a good Jew would have followed the law. Okay, that's how you get to heaven. This law was given to them by a man who they hold about here by the name of Moses. Okay. Moses is just underneath God to them because he, he got the law from God and he gave it to them. To get to heaven, to have a relationship with God, you follow the law. You have to do everything the law says, everything. Paul came through preaching that Jesus had done away with the law. Don't get, don't get confused. Did you still have to follow the rules of the community? Yes. But what what Jesus came to say, he says, you don't have to do stuff to have a relationship with me. You don't have to do things. You don't have to knock on 5,000 doors tomorrow and tell people about me. It's not stuff. Should you do things in your everyday life? Yes. But it's about you having faith in me. Throughout the book of Galatians, Paul screams. If the, if the pages could be put into audio form of his interpretation... He screams at the relationship 
with God comes through faith. God, I believe you. It wasn't about the sacrificial time of animals anymore. It was having a relationship with God on faith. But he tells them that he's shocked. So Paul sits down. Now imagine this. Imagine Imagine your kids are off at college and you get word that they're not doing things they're supposed to do. So we don't have computers, so we sit down and we write a letter. You can imagine in your mind what you're writing. Some of you have maybe wrote this letter. I don't know. So Paul wrote, wrote to the Galatians. It says, in the first four chapters, I challenge you, go home and read this during the week when you're not reading Luke. Some of you got that. Read the book of Galatians this week. And through the first four chapters, Paul tells the church these things. There is only one good news. One. He, is, the, the, he tells them that he is preaching for God and not for himself. Numerous times he says, I am not talking to you for my own good. It, it was like God, re, it's like God charged his batteries. He had no other thing but to preach for him. He, he goes, I'm not doing this so I look good. I'm not doing this so that you can think that I'm awesome. I'm not doing this for the wrong reasons is what he's saying. And he keeps himself, or he keeps reassuring them of the faith that, the faith that they had experienced was real. Now that's relevant to today. How many people have you talked to, maybe yourself, said, man, I don't know if it's real. It's, I don't, it, somebody comes up to me, one of the hardest questions that anybody's ever asked me, can you explain the Trinity to me? The Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Together they're separate and together they're the same. And you can use analogies. And Okay, I don't know. I, I will tell you, I do not know. I can give you a very earthly kind of look, but I don't know how that happens. We don't have the power to do that. But I can tell you that I believe that it's real because of the faith that I have in God and what I've seen God do in my life because of the faith that I have. He changes people. Often it is with us that we are needed to be reminded of where we have drifted to. That's a hard phone call to get. Say you're the kid at college and you get the phone call or you get the, you get, you get the, the letter and somebody has realized that you have relapsed or that you have been doing things that you shouldn't do. And they remind us of where we need to return. In chapter 4, he tells the Galatian people that he's concerned for them. And get this. He pleads. At one part in the book of Galatians, he says this. He says, I wish that I was there so that you could hear the emphasis or the tone of my voice. Many of us have got a text message. And when you get it, you're like, the tone is this. The other person was just telling you to have a nice day or something, and you're like, whatever. It's misinterpretation. Misinterpretation. It says, after Paul says all this, he gets to chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. If you're in chapter 5 on page 161 in the New Testaments, or chapter 5 in your Bible, he tells and reminds them of the freedom that they have in Christ The first blank on your message map. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. 
I told you, this, wa- this wasn't a guesstimation. Paul doesn't say, hey, you know, if you guys feel like it today, you're free. If you feel like it. If we did, if we just expressed our freedom and every time we felt like it, folks, we wouldn't do much. There may be times I don't feel like going to the grocery store. I don't feel like going to work. I don't feel like putting up with what I have to put up with. This is not a guesstimation. This, Paul does not say, hey, whenever you feel like it, you're free. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can only imagine how fast he is writing when he gets to this point. He's like, listen to me. He gets to chapter 5, and it's like he's got a megaphone in his hand. And he starts off, and he says, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Let's go to that first verse. In fact, he says this in verse 1, chapter 5. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again into the slavery of the law. Now, what he's talking about, he's reminding them. We went over this. He's reminding them that this. You are to follow the rules of your community, but you are no longer of the law. You're not under the law. God has set you free. By your relationship with him, he has set you free from the law to have a relationship with him. If you need something, how about this? Believers, you talk directly to God. Unbelievable. Some days I'm not, I I just, I get so caught up in myself and what I'm doing. There's no way I can just talk. I can't even talk to you today, God. I've done so much stuff. But we look back to the promise that we looked at just before on the message map. It says, if the Son has set you free, if you have said, God, I want to be a follower of yours. I want to do what you want me to do. It says, you are free indeed. I can only imagine when he writes this first verse, so Christ has truly set us free. If he had one of those giant Kingsford markers, the ones that smell really bad or good, depending on who you are. And you take a great, <laughs> a great big marker and just draw this huge exclamation point on that first line. Christ has truly set us free. He's telling his friends, please remember that. I'm telling you today, please remember that. Living for Christ is not done by following strict laws or sacrificing animals anymore. It's to be done. How about this? See if this is relevant. It's to be done by loving other people. Do you think that's relevant today? You're in a church that tries and attempts and does practice that very thing. He's giving them a warning not to go back to legalism. Now, legalism means this. It's being dependent on a moral law rather than on faith. Legalism will say... You have to go knock on 100 doors today to make yourself right with God. That is not right. Okay, that is not right. What faith says is I can have a relationship with God because I accepted his gift of the relationship. He goes on in verse 2. He says, listen. <laughs> Kings for marker. Pow. Listen, do you see that? I don't think that he wrote that. I think he said, okay, now that I've got your attention with the first verse, that you're set free. I want you to listen to me. Now, I know we don't ever talk to our kids like that, but have you ever, has anybody ever said, would you just listen to me, please? You got an amen over here. Well, 
a boss or if you're, if you're in a position of leadership at your, at your job, sometimes don't you want to say, will you just please listen to me? I know people that work out of general attire and they said, if, if my people that work for me do not listen to me, they can get hurt. In a physical sense. What Paul's talking about is that same exact thing in spiritual form. Listen, I am trying to save you some hurt. Please remember what we talked about. He goes on. He says, Paul, as Paul, I tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. Here's the deal. That was an act that the Jews Jews followed. It was a cutting away of things that didn't need. Listen, Paul is telling them this. You don't have to practice the legalistic actions. It's not about that anymore. It's about me. Paul is saying it's about God. Paul is very intent. Listen. Works doing things. It's not enough. It's not enough. Now remember, this is a brand new thing that's hit these people. These people are used to following what? The law. Given to them by, I'm I'm not going to take words out of context or anything, but Moses is like a superhuman to these people. He is a superhero of the Jewish faith. And he was, he was used by God. But if you study Moses in the Old Testament, folks, he messes up. People that study theology, study the Bible, think that Moses, who led the Israelites, the, a lot of them, out of Egypt, and he talked to all these people, they think that he had a stuttering problem or some type of speech impediment. Yet God used him to just talk to masses of people. But Paul is saying the law has gone away. It was here for a time, and now Jesus has come to this earth, and it's gone. He reminds them of this. He says, if all they had to do was follow the law, then Christ came and died for absolutely no reason at all. This is written very shortly after Jesus died, resurrected, and was ascended back to heaven. Very shortly. But he said, if all we had to do was follow the law, if all we had to do was do the stuff, then Christ came in vain. God's only perfect son came to this earth. He died for absolutely no reason at all. Because if it was about works, we could just practice what they did in the Old Testament. It's not about that anymore. Verse 3 says this. Listen, he's got his Sharpie markers out now. Okay, Probably different colors, highlighted. Okay, I would, I would suggest that Galatians was pretty marked up. He says this. I'll say it again. Now, everybody that you talk to always understands what you're saying the first time, right? I'll say it again. I, I, can only, I can only imagine what Paul's doing. He's like, okay, I'm going to write this in chapter 2. I'm going to write it in chapter 3. I'm going to write it in chapter 4. And I'm really going to say it about 18 times in chapter 5. Please listen to me. Hopefully by the 10th time they hear something. It says, if you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised or doing stuff, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. If you want to live by the law, you must follow it all to every nth of degree. He's not saying, number one, it's pretty borderline about even being possible. But on the other, the other side of it, he says, you can't just do stuff. 
You can't just do this stuff. Verse 4 says, If you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut away from Christ, cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. What Paul says here is very important. Do not get confused. Paul is just saying that the old law of the, of the Old Testament has gone away. You cannot make yourself right with God by the things that you do. There are religions in this world that teach that very thing. If you do this, you earn this status with God. If you do this, you earn this status with God. And it's like a huge corporate ladder to God. God does not operate like that. At all. It's about, God, I know you are who you say you are, and I want to have a relationship with you. Faith. It's not about doing works. I don't care if you knock on every single one of your neighbor's doors 57,000 times in your lifetime. If you do that alone, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It is about a relationship with God. Instead of knocking on their doors and say, hey, why don't you come to church? Why don't you knock on the door and say, hey, why don't you have dinner with us? You guys want to come over? It's about living life together. You know what I can't wait for? One o'clock today. Some of you are like saying, oh, man, one o'clock, you'll be done preaching. Maybe. Now, <laughs> one o'clock today, I have the absolute complete honor of my house being invaded by teenagers. You're like, you are crazy. Here's the deal. Those teenagers come in my house, and they jump on our couch, and they lay down on the floor, and they sit in the recliner. It's my recliner, but they sit in my recliner. They prop their feet up. Today we're going to have pizza. We didn't get to meet a couple weeks, the first two weeks of this month because everybody was sick, known to man. Everybody was sick. But this week we said, hey, we're going to make a special thing. We want to hang out with you guys before Christmas, talk to you guys. And they said, no, we don't want to come. Yeah, right. There's going to be pizza. They're like, I'm there. Actually, we had these phone calls. Can I bring my friend? Can I bring my friend? Yes, bring them now. They're going to come into my house. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say, wow, Matt seemed like he's bragging about his house being invaded by teenagers. No, this is what I'm saying. Those teenagers come into our house, and for a couple hours, they live life with us. If you go to connect group for an hour and a half, two hours a week, you live life with your connect group. If you have been involved in a connect group, I guarantee you it has changed your life. I guarantee you. If you go to connect group with the intent on learning and being relational with people, it will change your life. And that is what Paul is telling these people. It is not about doing this. It's about living life together. It's about showing people and telling people your testimony. What has God done for you? Next, Matt, next message, Matt Boyd, says this. A relationship with God is not about what you've done. It is about whose you are. We become followers by our faith, not our works. It can't happen. There's something missing. You cannot do enough good things to inherit the kingdom of heaven. You can't do it. That's where the thinking comes from. The lady in the video that I talked about, this, she says, I've done too much wrong. There's no way that God can forgive me. There's no way that I'd be accepted in your church for what I've done. 
It's all about the guy saying, listen, if you knew half the stuff that I've done, you wouldn't be worried about what you've done. We've all been there. I think the difference that separates us as a group of believers is everyone everywhere has a past. But in this church, somebody actually may talk about their past. Not to glorify it. Not to glorify, but to glorify God. I have talked with several individuals that have met with me and they said, man, I'm going through this. I'm going through this. And I said, man. And I listen and I listen and I listen. And then I share with them where I had ran to away from God. And you should see their face. They're like, I'm not making one sin bigger or, or worse than the other, but what I'm saying is I was relational with that person. I said, I know what you're doing. I know what it feels like. I know the remorse that you have when you do it. I know what guilt is. I know what this is, but here's the deal. If you are a believer and a follower, you have been set free. The book of Romans says there's no condemnation for those found in Jesus Christ. None. Zero. Galatians 5, verse 5. Oh, I love this verse. <laughs> but we who live by the Spirit eagerly, oh, eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. We are told here that the people who live by the Spirit eagerly. Spirit, not getting confused. People who let the Holy Spirit choose a path of our life, okay? The, the, the conscience, some people call it. Okay? You know, if you're a believer and you do something... It's not a matter of, hey, 10, 15, 25 minutes later, you know that's wrong. Oh, there's times in my life, I know that's wrong, and I'm doing the Paul thing. I know that's wrong, but I'm doing it anyway. I don't want to do that. But he says, we are told that the people who live by the Spirit eagerly await what's promised. What is righteousness? Hmm. Which means they get the benefit from a right relationship with God. give you an illustration really quick when we all go home or in the morning we look in the mirror and if I look in the mirror I don't see Sean Kloster I see Matt Griswold I see Matt Griswold but because when I was a young person I put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ. If God was on the other side of that mirror, he doesn't see me. He doesn't see Matt Griswold. He sees his son. Because his son has came into my life and, and before God I can stand because of Jesus making my life right. I can stand righteous in front of God. Not because of anything that I have done. But because of what everything that Christ has done for me. That's what Paul is saying. It's not about what you do. It's about who you believe in. Verse 6 says this. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Faith expressing itself in love. 
showing other people whose you are by loving them. You know what this world sees? People that do this. They take, and they take, and they take, and they take, and they want to park up front, and they want to park close to the door at Walmart because they're going to get a lot of groceries and they don't want to carry it very far, and they want to be served first, and they want the, the waitress to come to their table first. That's what the world sees. This may seem incredibly just useless to you, but I want to check out this. I went to Aldi's the other day, and there were like six open spots right in front. I'm 32 years old. I decided, hey, I can walk. So I park in like the very back of the parking lot. There's like 15 spaces. And I just, I give those spaces up just to go in and get my food. Did I have to push my cart farther? Yeah, about a whole 35 feet times two. So 70 more feet I had to push a cart. But it's about giving up time. It's about giving up the stuff that you like. Emma comes to me the other day, my little girl. She's my oldest. And I, 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 I usually always have mints in my pocket. <laughs> she goes, Dad, do you have a mint? And I only had one left. I had one. Lord knows I probably needed it worse than her. I took, I took that mint out of my pocket and I said, I said, babe, I love you. I said, it's the last one I have. And she said, thank you. And she enjoyed eating the mint. What does what what giving your daughter a mint have to do with anything? Listen, that's something that I wanted. Probably needed. Now my coworkers that I went to work later, they're probably like, Emma, holy cow, just give it. But I was giving up something that I like, giving up something that I want. That's what people see is a difference. That's what Mary and I come in contact with. They say, these people come up to us and say, your whole house is full of teenagers at one time? Yes. It's so much fun. But what are you? Man, but that's a big mess. I was told this a long time ago. I want you to hear this today. If you don't have a mess, chances are you probably don't have a ministry. Think about that. If you don't have a mess, chances are you don't have a ministry. We come in, we get crumbs on the floor. Guess what? We have a vacuum. We clean the floor. In verse 6, Paul is expressing that it's not about doing this stuff. Faith is the key. Nothing that happens on the outside can affect the inside. The inside is a relationship with Christ. Faith in Christ will cause you to live like him and love like him. What happens on the inside of a person will affect the outside. In verse 7, it says, You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? Now, in Galatians, Paul talks about false teachers, okay? This young group of people were meeting in the church. They were teaching with what Paul had given them to teach from. And these other people that were against the movement of Christ would teach different things, get them confused. That, that's relative today also. Some people say, well, you don't believe in, in this about church, but you believe in this about church. 
you know, some of those arguments can be put into what I would call the shallow end of the pool. But in the deep end is this. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came to this earth to to die for my sin. And I can have a relationship with him. That's a deep end conversation. What you do, different items that people consider in worship, needs to be a shallow end stuff. He says, you were running the race so well, who has held you back? In other words, you guys got off to such a great start. Many times we start the race doing something very, very well. Maybe we start reading our Bible every day. But after a while, we get out of the routine, and it slacks to once a week, once a month. Talk about sacrificial living. How about this? Maybe we have been doing the same job at Connection for five years, every Sunday, over 250 times in five years. And we started out with such vigor. And now it's turned into a hassle. Or we get caught up in ourselves and say, why, cannot, why can't somebody else just do it? I knew what I was going to preach this morning. And I came in. And I didn't see this with the men that I was involved with working with this morning. They were joking. They were laughing. They were talking about their week. What that has turned into is not work. It's not turned into a hassle. It's almost like they're living their life together about 30 minutes at a time when they set up the stage on Sunday morning. It's turned into a little family. Verse 8, it says, It certainly isn't God For he is the one who called you to freedom. God has not called us to stop serving other people. God is the one for whom we serve other people. Paul writes in Galatians, he says, I don't do this stuff for me. But because God loves me so much, that's why I do it. Verse 9 says, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough. He's saying this type of teaching, this type of backbiting, it's contagious. It's like a cancer. When you stop doing something or something becomes a hassle, you tend to talk with someone about your issue. Holy cow. Relevance. Then that person starts thinking about what they do and what they sacrifice to do. And suddenly they feel the same way that you do. It can affect every aspect of a ministry. Every aspect. Verse 10 says, I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teaching. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Listen, false teachers were people who taught things that were untrue about God. Maybe it was somebody that came back to that church in Galatia and said, listen, this Paul guy, yeah, He's a nutcase. And he doesn't know what he's talking about. You need to just go back to the law. Jesus really didn't do what He's a cool guy. He did some really cool magic stuff. It's neat. Okay. No, he didn't find his body after it was resurrected. But it was really as a cool trick. 
It'd be a lot easier just to slide back into our old way of doing things, wouldn't it? I think that's, that's what Paul's talking about here is, is the way that we get comfortable. We get, we get comfortable. Everybody likes to do it a certain way, in a certain way, in a certain way. And what we strive to do at Connection, and, I, and I'm not li- I am not lying at this, Mike and I talk weekly, sometimes more than one time a week, and we say, what, what can we do to be relevant? What, what, can, we, what can we do? What's, Josh plays different songs before worship. What, what can we do to keep it not being a, not that we want to trick you, not that we want to do something that you're not going to see coming, but we want you to be comfortable as a family and as a unit in here, but we want to continually challenge you to do Community 11 with King James. To step out of that comfort zone and live in love like Jesus wants us to. In verses 11 and 12, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? Paul's talking, these people are talking bad about Paul. He's just addressing that issue. He said, if I'm, if I'm teaching the old law, nobody would have a problem with that. If I was preaching that we needed to sacrifice our animals still, and we need to do this, and we need to go to church here, and go to church here, and go to church here, nobody would have a problem with that because that's comfort. They, they know that. He said, but why, if I'm preaching, if, if I'm doing what they say they're doing, then I'm getting persecuted for something that I'm not doing. But he said, I'm being persecuted because I'm speaking truth. What they understood right here in the book of Galatians, and we need to understand today in Mount Vernon, is this. Jesus Christ in the word of God, if believed in complete faith and all awesomeness, will change your life. Jesus himself never says, hey, become a Christian, it's a comfort, you get a ride in a recliner the rest of your life. He doesn't say that. That's why Paul was being persecuted. Remember who this guy was. He went from the persecute to the persecuted. Something had to make more sense for him to endure what he endured. Later on in another book, he talks about the things that happened to him. But these are not nice at all. And they were strictly done to him so that he would quit talking about God. The video, some of the video that we watched, we watched it before and we watched it after. And if some of you are doing different duties in the church, you're living in your freedom, you're doing other things in the church, you're serving, and you come back in. I knew that you wouldn't get to see it. I wanted you to see that video. The people in this world right now are being persecuted for their faith in God. Why? Because it causes uncomfortableness. It causes a change. What do you mean I can't park close to the door? Listen, I'm not saying you can't park close to the door. What I'm saying is giving the sacrifices, stuff that you like, the, the, the time that you like, the, the stuff. Living, live life with each other. If Paul's stating a fact that he wasn't a false teacher, he's telling the people of Galatia that he was preaching truth to them when he was there. See, all these false teachers wanted to do is say, Paul had no idea what he's talking about. He was leading on a wild goose chase. And Paul comes back and he says, listen to me. When Paul walked this earth, 
the believing and the accepting of Jesus Christ as their Savior was punishable by death. The world says, in context today, the world says it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. It's okay to engage with pornographic material. It's okay to dishonor your mate. When you take a stand about what the Bible believes about these things, sex outside of marriage, pornography, lustful things that are not of God, people get, get offended. When you take a stand and you say, you know what? I have told people I love jokes. I think humor is one of the greatest gifts other than salvation that God gave us. Funny is fun. Awesome. But I have friends that send me these jokes that are not appropriate. And I have had to, awkward, say, you know what? Sending me these pictures, sending me this stuff, I'm done. I don't need it. Because when I read it, it affects my head, and I don't want it in my head. I would rather not even hear it. My dad has a friend. He's a pastor in Terre Haute, Indiana. And uh, David is a huge jokester. He, is, he has a doctorate in Old Testament, Old Testament uh, um, genealogy. I mean, he's just in, incredibly intelligent. He loves to have fun, loves to tell jokes. And I told him that I had a joke one day, and I got this from him. I said, hey, I mean, I got a joke for you. And he go, and he stopped me. He, say, he said, wait a minute. He said, can I tell this from the pulpit in my church? Yes. Okay, then you can tell me. He took a stand that on, on something that most would say, well, just disregard, that's not a big deal. He took a stand against something. When you take a stand against sex outside of marriage or pornography or lustful things, people get offended. We see here that Paul is making a similar statement about preaching of truth of Jesus. Jesus came into the world to bring the good news. Paul was telling that. The problem was that by people accepting this salvation, it caused conflict to the old law. What do you mean I don't have to sacrifice an animal anymore? All my, all my, all my family's going to die and we're not going to go to heaven. Jesus didn't come in the world to say you had to kill your goats. In a literal sense, Jesus says, I'm the sacrificial one that's going to die for your sins. Not an animal. Me. Me. Now, when you take, when you take that and you grasp, when you can wrap your hands and head around that, what God has done for you, this is what happens. The stuff that happened in Connecticut, when people grasp the idea of what God has done for them, they are going to be the ones that have hurt and are not hurting anymore. They, I promise you, they will be the first ones to reach. We know where you were. When they choose to live life together, to share heartache, for somebody that understands true freedom, that's what they'll do. When somebody has true freedom in Christ, that's what they will do. It's not about them anymore. It's not. It's about how can I help them. So some people will be on their knees and praying for them because they can't physically get to Connecticut. Some people will go and minister in person. On the news, there's been stories about About people that had their lives wrecked 
that are already asking God to just be glorified in a situation like that. That is something that is not of this world. No way. How can anybody look on a tragedy like that and say, God, bring glory to yourself out of that? It's not of this world. That's a hope and a trust and a faith that is only in Christ. In verse 12, he goes on, he says, I just wish those troublemakers, those people that were talking, for those of you guys who play basketball or girls who play basketball, for those people that were talking trash against me, this is what he says, who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. He's saying this, I wish that they would stop it. I wish they would go away. I played sports growing up. I know what talking trash starts. This guy on this team starts running his mouth. And we'll just do guys because, you know, you girls all play nice. So the guy, so the guy is just starting mouthing. And say he, say he gets past his defender and he lays it up and all the way down the court. Mouth, 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 mouth. Until it gets into a shoving match. Somebody gets a foul. Somebody gets technical. Somebody gets thrown out of the game. It's a snowball. And it just goes on and on and on. But he says, these troublemakers or these people that talk trash, I wish they would just stop. Paul is not speaking out of anger, but out of love. Get to, get, you have to get this. Paul takes time to write these people because he is passionately involved with them. He loves them. He wants them to walk in the truth and not be filled with false hope and false belief. Verse 13, it says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. He's talking to the believers, the people that have experienced the love. At Connection, we try and show love to this community on a regular basis community loving activities. We go out into this town and show people that we love God, but because we love God, we love them. We encourage our people to show the love of God everywhere. If you are new to Connection, this is what we do. We encourage our people to show the love of God everywhere they go. In their family, at work, and where they play. I have some friends that I played softball with in the summer and that they're, they're, they're very involved in their church, and, you know, they wore these, they wore these uh, rubber wristbands and whatever, and one of them caught my eye. And I, I knew that this guy was a believer. But on his wristband, it was black, and it had white letters, and you guys, some of you people have seen this, but it said this, in Jesus' name I play. <laughs> I said, in Jesus' name you play. He goes, Matt, it's not about where I am. Or what I'm doing. But that's to remind me that everything that I do, including softball, including hugging my little girls, as I play through this life, I want to do it in Jesus' name. We're on a softball field. It's all about guys being manly. I was crying. Because that touched me so deeply. In Jesus' name I play. Verse 14, he says, For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not about us. Love is not self-seeking. I heard a very wise man say this. We should not think less 
of ourselves, but we should think of ourselves less. In verse 15 it says this, But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Listen, he knows. The mortality rate of churches that are started is very high, even today. Whenever I did my, my work, I haven't looked at the figures today, but whenever I did church planting work up by Chicago, the mortality rate of a church plant was almost 85%. They, just, they wouldn't last. The support would run out. The people would get tired of doing the same thing. He gives them a final warning. When you go through First Step at Connection, when you want to become a member of Connection, you sign a document. And some of you who have been through First Step have done this. It says the document that you sign says that you will not be divisive. Being divisive simply means to cause trouble or to stir it up. A world that sees a church like that will not see any difference between it and the world. A church that fights a lost person or somebody outside the church will not see any difference between, oh, hey, I go to church and the world. But a world that sees a church that loves, that is, that is intentional in its love, will see that it is different than the things of this world. People are hungry. Text them. Facebook. Twitter. Photo share iChat, Skype. Some of you are saying he's going, he's going, he's going um, computer stuff on me. I'm going to shut this off. Listen, you need to be intentional about talking with people. We are free to live. You're free to live. We are free to love. Living in the freedom that Christ has given you. Your freedom is here, not just here, on earth. So I want, I want you to know today that your freedom is here. We're going to watch a video. If you know the words, you can sing along. Jesus came not so that we could just go to heaven one day. Jesus came so that we could find freedom in this life.
Everybody walk the cast away.